Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of January 7th through the 9th, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well and staying warm. It's dipped into the teens here in New York City these past few weeks, which hasn't been fun when taking the dog out for walks, but I guess it's still fresh air. Uh, hopefully you're staying safe and testing negative for Omicron. Uh, we'll definitely be talking about the variance impacts on the box office later this episode. Hopefully that comes to pass soon. Uh, based on the trends from overseas in the UK and in Africa, um, it should hopefully be burning itself out. Um, also, before we get into this week's topics and numbers, a quick plug for another movie podcast I do. You probably you heard me mention it before, but every year around this time, aka awards season, I do a podcast called the Oscars Death Race Podcast, where I try to watch every film nominated for the Oscars each year. I've done it the past two years in a row, and this year will be our third season. After a couple of housekeeping episodes last month, this week we're coming back with actual movie discussions. Uh, this week I have a few guests on from the Academy of Death Racers, an online community of Oscars Death Race participants, and we talk about Oscars films in content films and contestants for the Oscars that can be found on Netflix. So definitely make sure you check that out. Um, anyway, for this week's episode of Box Office Watch, we'll do something a little bit different. I'll still go over the box office numbers this past weekend, but since, spoiler, there's not too much worth discussing, I figured I'd take this time to do a little book look forward of the next four months of the year box office-wise. Uh, usually we think about financial calendar in terms of quarters or three-month periods, uh, but for the box office, I'd argue that a trimester schedule works a little bit better three four-month periods. Uh, the first trimester is probably the weakest period of the year running from January through April, um, and then you have the summer blockbuster season from May through August, and then awards and holiday season picking up from September through December. So we'll look at that first January through April trimester this week on a week-by-week basis and give some quick predictions on which films will probably top the box office among the new releases. But first, as promised, uh, the box office numbers from this past week. Uh, in first place, to no surprise, we have Spider-Man No Way Home continuing its run with a 42% drop to $32.6 million in 4,012 theaters per theater average 8,130. So far, its cumulatively domestic total is $668 million with another $867 million abroad, putting it past the $1.53 billion mark worldwide. That $668 million domestic is good for the number 6th all-time domestic chart, pushing it past Titanic and sitting about $10 million away or so from taking over Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther probably being the last uh, film it'll overtake at $700 million. Uh, worldwide, it sits at number 7, ahead of Furious 7, and behind 2019's The Lion King at $1.654 billion. Uh, one fun stat, according to Reddit user of the Blue Source for 2099, apparently the MCU, including these uh, Spider-Man films with Tom Holland, is closing in on $25 billion across its 27 films. Uh, in comparison to 68 other superhero films from all other studios, DCEU, Sony's X-Men films, and Spider-Man films especially, um, they're all, all only at about $26 million combined, so only about a million a billion dollars away from getting there. Um, and then the DCU is about half of what Marvel has made altogether. Now, in second place, uh, we have Sing 2, the animated film from Universal, in its third weekend, dropping 42% to $11.5 million in 3,713 theaters per theater average of 3,124. Domestic total sits at $108.6 million, with another $82 million abroad, putting it at $191 million worldwide. 
Uh, third place, we have a new film opening, The 355. It's a female spy film from Universal, opened to $4.6 million in 3,145 theaters, per theater average of 1,470. Less than half a million abroad puts it at just about $5 million worldwide. Probably not going to hit its $75 million production budget back here. Uh, fun fact, apparently made about $350,000 in previews on Thursday, true to its name. Uh, fourth place went to The Kingsman in week three, dropping 29% to $3.2 million in 3,040 theaters for a per theater average of $1,060 and a running total of $25 million. Another $49 million putting it, uh, abroad, putting at $75, $74 million or so worldwide, which these films have about a $100 million budget, so probably not going to uh, get there here, or if it will be very close and still not make up the uh, print and advertising costs. Uh, finally, fifth place is The American Underdog, a Kurt Warner story hanging in there with a 40% drop to $2.3 million in 2,728 theaters per a theater average of 854, running total of $18.6 million. Uh, unfortunately, no budget that I could find uh, to compare that to. Nothing else is really noteworthy, frankly, outside the top 10. A lot of old names here. Uh, total box office was at $62.5 million, less than half of 2019's equivalent week. Uh, this coming weekend, we've got two releases, and also notably a three-day weekend with Martin Luther King Day over the coming up on, on Monday. Um, but two free releases to keep an eye on. First, we have Scream from Paramount Pictures, uh, the fifth entry in the Scream franchise, set to release theatrically only, despite the red carpet release being canceled due to the pandemic. Uh, reviews seem to be pretty positive, about 89% percent or so and being a horror film despite a slightly higher 50 million production budget uh have done well over the pandemic skewing younger and having a dedicated fan base um i'm seeing estimates for about 50 million dollars over the four day thursday the monday weekend uh which would be i think a, a, a pretty decent win here um i and i think you know given that we've had other horror films in january kind of do pretty decently glass and split from m night Samlon a couple years back come to mind i think this one you know will 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 be a surprise hit here um the other wide release is an anime anime film Bell from director Mamoru Hosoda, distributed by Z-Kit, uh, which I believe was the third highest film uh, in Japan from last year. Anecdotally, I haven't seen a lot of pre-reservations from this one at the theaters around here in New York City, probably due to the Omicron variant, but I would like to have faith it can break out well and do well, especially for Oscars chances. Um, at the very least, I uh, hope it sticks around for a couple of weeks so I can catch it safely once Omicron has subsided. Now looking ahead, Spider-Man No Way Home's numbers was helped by opening very strong in Japan. Uh, according to the forum members of the World of World of KJ, it made an estimated 1.45 billion yen, or about 12.5 million US dollars over the three-day weekend. Now, most Japanese stats look at the two-day weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and there, Spider-Man made 8.2 million US dollars, or 950 million yen, which is good for the all-time highest January opening in Japan. Makes sense, given Japan really loves Spider-Man. The three Spider-Man Raimi films are the three highest all-time grossing and opening Hollywood superhero films there with north of 60 million US dollars per film, beating out even Avengers Endgame, which made only 55 million dollars. It is also a, a holiday this past Monday, so I wasn't able to get my final numbers when I was writing this episode, but it actually comes very close to the Jujutsu Kaisen movie, which, by the way, has made about 70 million US dollars over 18 days so far, about 7.7 .7 billion yen. For context, the highest grossing film of 2021 
was Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, which made about 89 million US dollars over its entire run. Uh, and this still has a bit of a memory one way to go, so probably will top that. Um, also, not quite movie related, but anime distributor Sentai, who runs the streaming service High Dive, was just acquired by AMC Networks, not the movie theater chain, the TV channel. Um, globally, this you know the anime industry is valued currently at about 25 billion dollars, with a five-year forecast to reach 43 billion or so. So you know that should be a, you know, that's definitely a sign of the times. Now, moving over to China, Encanto debuted quietly over there to about 3.2 million US dollars. Not quite good enough for the top five. Definitely not the 189 million Coco-like performance Disney was hoping there for its entire run. And co-directors uh, of Encanto, Jared Buss and Byron Howard, who also directed Zootopia, made 236 million in China over there in 2016. So, you know, again, definitely an underperformance. And also, you know, no Spider-Man release date over there either. Uh, the top film this weekend in China was Embrace Again, a pandemic-themed patriotic romance apparently with 11 million dollars this week in its second weekend currently sitting at 113 million lifetime uh, also another notable release this weekend from another film indian film uh chichore i think hope i'm pronouncing that right is the first indian film to be released in china since the border dispute tensions there between the two countries a couple years back Next week, uh, we should see The Matrix Resurrections coming to China, which, you know, as I've mentioned on past episodes, The Matrix apparently is very well received in China, the first uh, several films doing pretty well over there. Going back to Encanto real quick, though, you know, in some other headlines, you know, beyond the numbers, we got a pretty interesting uh, one here. Encanto, you know, coming to Disney Plus uh, Disney Weekend and partially driven by TikTok memes, has had its soundtrack be the first soundtrack album to top the Billboard's chart at number one in over two years, with the song We Don't Talk About Bruno reaching number five, tying Frozen's Let It Go all-time peak on the top 100. Funnily enough, We Don't Talk About Bruno was not nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar by Disney, probably because they didn't see it break out and they had to submit nominations in advance um, and they submitted a different song instead. Still, I think it could bode well for Encanto's overall chances uh, at the Oscars. Now that being said, Encanto getting breakout success after coming out on Disney Plus while having a mediocre uh, theatrical release may have influenced Disney's next decision we're going to cover. Um, they've gone three for three with their recent Pixar films coming straight to Disney Plus. No premiere access, no additional value, and no theatrical uh, day and date release. Um, Turning Red, directed by Oscar winner for the animated sword Bao, Domi Si, uh, her film is getting sent straight to Disney Plus, um, again on no additional cost with premiere access on the March 11th release date, skipping theaters much like Soul and Luca did. Now, there's a lot of factors going into this. First, obviously, Omicron and the fear that it might extend out past late January and February is one concern. Uh, particularly for these family-friendly films where parents might be a little bit more reluctant to bring their kids out. Uh, but then you also have the idea that Pixar films are being relegated to being lost leaders for Disney to retain subscribers for the Disney Plus platform. Uh, and of course, as I alluded to, the success of Encanto on streaming after a lackluster box office performance. So far, it's made about $92 million domestic and two fifteen worldwide against the $150 million production budget, so just about break-even. Um, you know, and then it would, But it blew up when it came online, uh, could have impacted to do decision here with turning red. Uh, same as I was really looking forward to supporting this one in theaters. I'm curious to see if the Academy re-extends its rules for Oscar eligibility for virtual first release films another year and if turning red will be eligible next year. Um, now the real thing I think to keep an eye on will be if Lightyear, uh, you know, their uh, in-universe uh, spin-off of the Toy Story franchise, um, you know, is going to be put direct on Disney Plus. Uh, so far, signs suggest that it's staying in theaters as that one, that one definitely has a much bigger box office potential being a summer blockbuster. 
Um, now, let's see. Uh, anyway, you know, there's some other quick headlines uh, that we want to get to before this week's special segment. Um, last week, we talked about how Sony moved Morbius back uh, to April off of its January release date. There were some sources saying that there were a couple of reasons for this. Um, one, uh, and, and that, that weren't quite Omicron related. One is that, you know, they wanted to let No Way Home continue to hold the IMAX and premium large format screens instead of Morbius. Um, and then two, uh, they want to have Morbius be on the Q2 balance sheet uh, to even things out a bit given how well No Way Home is performing. Now, over on streaming, Don't Look Up is now Netflix's second most-watched film of all time, just behind Red Notice, um, which apparently also I just saw this morning. Red Notice uh, is apparently getting two spin uh, sequel films filmed back-to-back, um, so definitely Netflix is going all in on that one. Uh, meanwhile, on HBO Max, apparently the fourth Matrix movie ended up being in the top four of all their day-and-date release films on HBO Max from last year, being the most-watched film overall in December, and it also had a halo effect to boost viewership of other Matrix films on the platform as well, myself included in that stat. Uh, the Beatles Get Back documentary uh, series on Disney Plus. They're gonna have a one night IMAX screening of the famous rooftop concert on January 30th. Uh, Wes Anderson is set to direct a Netflix adaptation of Roald Dahl's work, uh, featuring actors Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, and Ben Kingsley. And then, you know, this one's really interesting to me. Uh, a Gallup poll says that 61% of Americans have uh, not been to a movie theater in the last month, while the average American has seen only 1.4 movies in the last year, as opposed to the often quoted 4.8 movies a year from the 2001-2007 average. Um, interestingly, because despite claims from Ridley Scott that millennials and younger folk are killing movie theaters, in reality, it's the younger generation under 30 who saw the most movies. An average of 3.2 films in the theater last year, as opposed to 30 to 49-year-olds who saw about 1.4 films, uh, and then 50 to 64-year-olds who saw only 0.8 of a film, and 65 plus who only saw half a film in theaters on average. Also, overall, 31%, uh, in addition to the 61%, 31% saw one to four films last year, and then 9% myself included, saw over five films in theaters last year. So yeah, uh, you know, this is definitely, again, not a lot to cover here in terms of, you know, box office news and headlines, but uh, we do have our special segment this week looking at the first four months, the first trimester of the year to break down what's coming out in theaters and which ones I think will be the one to watch, at least from a box office perspective. Now, again, this coming weekend, as we noted, we have Scream from Paramount Pictures as well as Bell from G-Kids. Also worth noting, uh, Hotel Transylvania 4 actually will be releasing this weekend as well, though that will be on Amazon Prime Video only after it got picked up last fall. Also coming to streaming is The Tragedy of Macbeth on Apple TV+, Plus, a potential Oscars contender. Now, this next weekend of uh, January 22nd, first we got a pretty weird one, probably the most unique release I've seen in a long time. Uh, the King's Daughter is a film that was filmed all the way back in 2014 about an apparently immortal King Louis XIV, played by Prius Brosnan, uh, which got delayed uh, about three weeks uh, ahead of its 2015 release by pa Paramount pretty much indefinitely, um, and sat in release hell, not getting, you know, getting skipped over before it got picked up late last year by Gravitas Ventures. Uh, seems like a flop in the making to me. Um, also looking to be a flop is Redeeming Love, an 1850s Gold Rush California uh, set Western romance coming out from university. Uh, January 28th, the only notable thing coming to theaters is the limited release of Serrano, uh, a, musical uh, a musical starring Peter Dinklage, which has some Oscar buzz about it, coming to select theaters uh, from United Artists. 
Then moving to February, February 4th has two wide releases. First, we have Jackass Forever from Paramount, which, if you remember, was delayed from last fall to this date. And then Lionsgate has a sci-fi disaster film from Roland Emmerich, uh, Moonfall, which is a story about the moon literally about to fall on the Earth and astronauts are trying to stop it from happening. If I had to guess, I'd say probably Jackass probably has uh, wins the box office between these two films. Now, the week after February 11th, we have some interesting stuff. Uh, First, we have Death on the Nile uh, from 20th Century, which is a sequel to the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express film starring Kenneth Branagh as the uh, Agatha Christie detective Hercule Poirot. Uh, the last one was moderately successful, making $352 million worldwide on a $55 million budget, hence the sequel. However, this one is mired in a bit of controversy with alleged abuser Army Hammer, anti-vaxxer Leticia White, and star of the celebrity Imagine sing-along Gal Gadot, all part of the cast with Disney opting to not resuit Army Hammer's scenes. Now, we'll see how the controversy impacts this film if the pandemic doesn't as well. Um, that weekend, we also have the film Marry Me from Universal, a rom-com musical starring J-Lo and Owen Wilson featuring Colombian singer Maluma. Uh, this one is set to come out on Peacock Day and Date as well as in theaters. Now, I actually think actually this one will probably be a sneaky hit between the proximity of Valentine's Day and Latin music fan base coming out to support. Um, we also got another Liam Neeson film, uh, I guess, as a county programming uh, from Open Roads films titled Blacklight, which would be his third film from them in a row. Um, of these three, it will I think it should definitely go to Marry Me in first place. Also note, noteworthy, this will be Serrano's uh, wide release uh, this weekend, another romantic uh, tale uh, for the Valentine's Day weekend. Then February 18th, we have two wide-release films. Uh, one from Sony is the adaptation of the Uncharted video games with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, whether it ends up on the good or bad side of the video game adaptation curse with a lot fewer films going on the good side than the bad side, to be honest, um, remains to be seen. Uh, we also have Channing Tatum directing and starring in a comedy film simply entitled Dog from United Artists. Um, I think thinking this one should definitely be Uncharted winning this week, though. If the quality isn't there, it's going to drop off real surface. But if it has any sort of like decent quality to it, um, I could be wrong and it could be a $100 million film, I think. Now, nothing comes out wide the week of February 25th because the weekend following in March is a doozy. Uh, March 4th, we see the Matt Reeves directed Robert Pattinson led the Batman film, which is not in the DCEU film, but in its own world like the Joker. Um, and this one should be the first $100 million opening of 2021, assuming it doesn't implode on itself, which I have faith. Um, March 11th, with Turning Red going straight to Disney+, and San Levy's sci-fi film The Adam Project, starring Ryan Reynolds, Zoe Saldana, and Mark Ruffalo going to Netflix, there aren't any theatrical releases, which, again, I think has to do with films not wanting to try to compete with The Batman. Um, the first film, Brave Enough, to, to release after The Batman, it will be then on March 18th, uh, which of course will be in Downton Abbey, the new era from Focus Features. That's right, it's the second film based on the popular television series about British aristocracy and their servants. Um, now, it may not seem like much, but Downton Abbey uh, actually, actually has a surprising amount of stands behind them. Uh, for the first film, it opened to $31 million, topping the box office that week, and was Focus Features' largest opening to in history 
to that date, um, going on to make $194 million globally on a $13 million budget. Uh, the other film releasing this weekend is from SDX Films, a Guy Ritchie spy action comedy starring Jason Statham and Aubrey Plaza called Operation Fortune. Um, not sure the budget on this one, but other Guy Ritchie films have been actually pretty decently profitable. Um, Wrath of Man last year made $104 million on a $40 million budget, and Gentleman in 2019 made $115 million on a $22 million budget. So um, I still got to give it to Downton Abbey this weekend. Um, after you know the performance, uh, you know a couple of years back, I can't I can't doubt them again. Now, the last weekend in March has sees two more films coming out. Uh, we have The Lost City, which is an action-adventure film comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, as well as featuring Daniel Radcliffe and Brad Pitt, uh, coming from Paramount. I have a feeling, based on this trailer, it actually might break out a la Knives Out or something similar, in which case I think it would end up at $100 million by the end of its run. Um, the other one is a much smaller film from A24, but arguably the one I'm more interested in. Uh, Michelle Yeoh stars in a quote-unquote interdimensional action film called Everything Everywhere All at Once, directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Seinhardt, uh, collectively known as the Daniels, who are the minds behind the Turn Down for What music video and Swiss Army Man, uh, produced by... And this one is produced by Joe and Anthony Russo. Still, just because it's A24 versus Paramount, I think the Lot City will probably come out on top, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this one have a really high per theater average. And then moving to April 1st, we have Morbius, which, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, was moved from January to this date. Uh, naturally, it should end up at the top of the box office and uh, potentially should make a run past $100 million based on Spider-Man hype. That said, it's not the only film coming out this weekend. Uh, SDX Films has a Chris Pine-led action film called The Contractor, and then Universal is releasing a comedy film featuring Filipino-American comedian Joe Corey called Easter Sunday, and I'm personally keeping an eye out for that, an eye out for that one as well. Um, April 8th, we have the return of the Blue Blur, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, featuring Tails and Knuckles, the latter voiced by Idris Elba, and of course, Jim Carrey returning as well. This one's releasing by Paramount. As one of the last major films before the pandemic, uh, uh, it made it was a surprising success that made $319 million on an $85 million budget, despite being cut short by the pandemic. I could see this one, if not opening to $100 million, at the very least legging it out there. Still, I think it's a definitely open more than Universal's Michael Bay directed and Jake Gyllenhaal starring action thriller that weekend called Ambulance. April 15th, we have the weekend of films I don't think anyone really asked for. Uh, in one corner, we have Fantastic Beats, the Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, the next film in the Wizarding World franchise. Yeah, it somehow hasn't died off yet. Um, I don't even have this one breaking $100 million in its entire run, as I don't think even Harry Potter fans want to see this film. Um, on the other corner, we have 13 Lives, which is an MGM film directed by Ron Howard, starring Viggo Mortensen as about the 2018 Thai Caves Rescue. Um, if that one sounds familiar, I think it's because there was a documentary actually that's likely going to be nominated for the Oscars called The Rescue about the very same topic. So, you know, how many films about this within the course of six months do we need? Now, on the other hand, April 22nd, I think, is a very interesting day with a lot of really cool films coming out. Uh, first, we have The Bad Guys, which is a DreamWorks animated film about a bunch of bad guy animals who try to not be bad guys. Duh. Sorry. Um, anyway, we have good and it's a good. It looks like it might be a pretty decent animated film, and those will always appreciate it. Now, for a slightly different demographic, we have Robert Eggers directed historical epic revenge story The Northman, featuring Alex Skarsgård as a Viking prince. Letterboxd had it as one of the most anticipated films of 2022, and based on the 20 on the trailer, it looks like it's going to be for a good reason. I think it could potentially break out and even hit a hundred million dollars opening weekend. 
Um, and then we'll finally have that weekend. We also have Lionsgate doing a super meta film called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nick Cage, taking a look back at some of his most classic uh, roles in his career. I mean, how could you not? Um, finally, to wrap up the last third of the year, we have uh, you know the last week of uh, of, of April, another open road film on the 29th called from Liam Nielsen. Yet again, the fourth film in a row together, directed by Martin Campbell called Memory. And there's also a Sony science fiction film starring Adam Driver, Driver produced by Sam Raimi called 65. Don't really have too much information about these to make a call as to which will win, but I'm personally more excited for the sci-fi Adam Driver film. And that's the first third of the year, the first trimester. To recap, the big hitters, I think, will be Marry Me, Uncharted, Batman, Downton Abbey, Lost City, Morbius, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and The Northman being the top grossing films probably close to, if not over, $100 million at least over its entire run. Um, and then I also want to keep, even if they don't, won't ghost as much, I want to keep an eye on Serrano, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Easter Sunday, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and 65 as smaller films I think will be interesting even if they don't rule the box office. In any case, I think that's it for this week. Um, you know, normally I do what I've been watching, but again, most of those are actually for the Oscars death race. So again, if you want to hear my thoughts on Power of Dog, The Lost Daughter, or West Side Story, be sure to check those episodes this week and next over on the Oscars death race podcast feed. And with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Shoot me ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend that any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which lets you me not only this show, but all the other podcasts such as Oscars Death Race that I work on. Links to all that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from dnumbers.com, intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod, and incompetent on filmmusic.io, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Awesome.